Pretty simple, isn't it? Simple to sing, not so simple to live. Amen. A um, couple cl- house cleaning items before we get started. Um, if any of the kids haven't gone, they can go ahead and go. Um, there's a list of stuff in the lobby over here by the tree of projects that need to be done. Um, there are some areas in the church that we really need to spruce up, clean up. And so whichever one you want, you can maybe put your initials in that box or your name in that box. Um, and then when we see your name in that box, we'll let you know what exactly needs to be done. Um, some of it needs to just get thrown away. Um, there, I'm surprised at how many baby Jesuses are around this church. And the, the weird thing is, is they're hidden in some of the creepiest places. And so when you first walk in, you're just like, oh, um, <clears throat> it's just, and I hear Jesus going, do not be afraid. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. But uh, we really need to get some things cleaned up. And so instead of having a church work day, <clears throat> because generally when we have that, like three of us come. And we're all on staff. Um, And so if you can't do it on a certain day, whatever day you can, we'll we'll have it work that way. So there's something on the list for everyone. Um, Find your place and then we'll get in touch with you and let you know more about it. Um, I did talk to you about the state fair books. They're out there in the lobby. (coughs) Excuse me. Apparently that frog did not leave this week. But um, and so we want to get that to you. And then there was one more thing that uh, I had to, oh, one more thing for parents. Um, Starting in August, our kids' church is actually going to be through the entire service. And so we're going to do a trial run. This is something that Pastor John has wanted to do for for quite some time. Um, They will have services when they're with us for some of that service or all of that service. But uh, we're going to take them downstairs right at the beginning of service, starting in August. So you've got a couple weeks. And then uh, they'll be, give you an opportunity to maybe worship without always, you know, doing this thing. And so, um, but uh, thank you to our leaders for being willing to make that sacrifice. And uh, thank you, parents, for... Um, you know, some of you might not like that, I know, but it's okay. In fact, I love that Pastor Mark prayed for Leroy today um, because, you know, sometimes people, we grow up in denominations, I want to be careful how I say this, where, you know, you got to act, you got to act reverent in church because we're in the presence of God. Um, But let me tell you something, we're always in the presence of God. I mean, we've, we've forgotten that we are supposed to always be in communication with God. So yes, you're supposed to have a quiet time, but you're not supposed to stop talking to him. All day long, we respond, we talk to him, and God created us with a sense of humor. So if people laugh when we pray, it's not because we're like not, we're not revering or reverencing God. It's because God's always with us. And so if you forget someone's name in prayer, don't be, I mean, just Pray for Leroy. It's okay. I mean, he prays for Brandy over here too all the time. And so, I mean, Mark's getting old. He just forgets people's names and he doesn't mean to. Um, But I do want to give away one more uh, gift card too because now you've chosen to sit here. See, before you had to, but now you've chosen and you didn't get offended and walk out when I said you didn't get one earlier, so now you get one. So... Um, yeah, we're in a series, if you are a guest with us today, called First Love from Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. And we're not going to read that. We're actually going to go to Genesis chapter 32 here in a moment because this is part five of the series. And I really feel like God is saying something to us as a body 
from this letter to the church in Ephesus. This is a a specific letter written by the Apostle John that came from Jesus, okay? If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, that means those are the words of Jesus. John got this message from Jesus. He wrote a letter, sent it to Ephesus, and this was the letter for them. And as we've talked over the last couple weeks, we talked about this is a great church. They work hard. They persevered under persecution. They maintained truth and weren't tolerating wickedness. In other words, they weren't letting people, you know, not conform to the word of God. There, I posted a quote this week on Facebook that there's this gospel that the Apostle Paul preached against in the book of um, Corinthians called the Libertine Gospel. Basically what that means is God loves everybody and you don't have to change to enter his kingdom. You just, he loves you. And it's true that God loves everyone, but you, you, you don't just get to come into the kingdom and then though there's no change. But he also wrote to the Galatians church and he preached against the message of legalism. Okay, so libertine, do whatever you want. Legalism means you have to change in order to come into the kingdom. In other words, you can't, you can't come into God's kingdom unless you fix everything wrong in your life. But the whole point is you can't fix anything in your life. That's the gospel. But the gospel of the kingdom is, hey, I've done all this for you. Come into my kingdom. And because of that, you're going to change. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And so, you know, they weren't tolerating people that were coming in and saying, well, I don't have to change. Well, yeah, you by nature change because the spirit now lives in you. And so if the spirit lives in you, you're going to start changing. And so they've persevered. They've done all of these things. But there was one thing that Jesus said that I hold against you. And it was that they stopped maintaining and insisting upon first love. In other words, they stopped putting this into practice. I mean, they would have mentioned it. They would have said, they would have sang, draw me close in this church. They would have sang, Lord, you're all I want. You're all I need. But it wasn't reality. I mean, it's easy to sing, I surrender all. But most of the time we, we live, I surrender some. Or even I surrender most. There's areas of our lives where there's a disconnect. And that's what this series is all about. It's coming back to that place where God is first. Okay, first, um, not first in, in the, the sense of degree meaning most important. Because some of our Bibles will translate this and say, come back to what you did at first. It's not a call to just come back and do what you did at first. It's a call to come back to what is first, what is priority, to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And oh, by the way, to love others that same way. It's not enough to just love most people. It's not enough to just love them most of the time. If our love for people is not the exact same as what Christ displayed for us, it's not enough. It's not enough. And now, it's not like a a guilty, try harder, you got to live up to a standard type of love. It's a, God, I need this to happen in my life. It's asking him to transform us because love is defined, and we've done it over the last couple weeks, we've just defined it by who God is because love is not what I feel, it's not what I think it is, it's who God is and he demonstrated that by sending his son to die for us. So anything less than that is not enough. It's not enough to just give God lip service. It's not enough to give God most of our lives. He said, if you don't give up everything, you're not worthy of following me. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. If you don't give up everything for me, you cannot follow me. And it's easy 
for us to get in the habit of going to church, the habit of hearing sermons, the habit of reading our Bible, the habit of having a quiet time, and to forget this is what we've been called to. And we, we have this whole list of stuff we're good at, and we look like we're doing good, but if we step back for a second, we realize, you know what, we've, we've fallen from the standard. Yeah, we're better than we used to be. Yeah, we're better than our neighbor. Yeah, we're better than the church down the street. But what about the standard? Come back to that standard, and that's what it's all about. Just this last week, I was reading, and I found this quote and thought it just fits so well just to help us with that definition one more time. Sin and love are the exact opposites. Love is benefiting others at the expense of self. Sin is benefiting yourself at the expense of others. Sin is selfishness. Love is selflessness. And so again, not a message to feel guilty about, a message to say, God, I want to come back to this. I got to come back to this and asking for his grace to do it. In fact, the moment you admit it, that's called humility, and then you get grace to do it. But as long as we say, well, you know, it's not my fault. The reason I didn't love that person is that person. No grace for that, okay? So we've, we've talked through it. Week one, staying rooted and grounded in love from the prayer to the Ephesians church. Week two, have you forgotten? This was a, a profound word, I believe, from God to say, you know what? There's stuff in our lives that we've forgotten. Some of you, God has called you to a certain area of obedience and you started out and now you've gone back to an old pattern. And you need, to be, you need to repent and come back to that place of obedience. Some of you, you feel like God has called you to a certain type of ministry or a certain calling in life, but you've, it got hard. And you're like, well, you know, it just didn't work out. The callings of God are irrevocable. That's what the scripture says. And you need to remember that and come back to that. We talked about hidden gold, seeking God diligently, serving the least of these, loving our enemies, and obedience in fiery trials. And some of you are like, Pastor, you repeat yourself a lot. And yep, I know. Because we're going to keep preaching this same series until we get it. In fact, after one week, someone came to me and said, you know, I don't know if I'm getting it. I'm like, well, that's okay because we're not leaving it until we get it. Because it's, it's one of those things that there's so much I feel like God is saying in this, but some of it you need to hear with your heart, not your head. There's, there's stuff I'm trying to share with you that I'm trying to impart to you, and it's not going to be intellectual. You're going to just, you're going to get it. And until we get it, we're probably going to keep talking about first love. And then last week, where did it come from? And it's funny because two different people brought this back to me this week and uh, was, were actually using it against me <laughs> this week or reminding, not using it against me, reminding me of what I said last week. Because we have a tendency to reject a message that we don't like or don't want to hear, and we do it by disqualifying the person it comes through. So if I can say, well, that person's not living right, so I don't need to hear that message. Well, no, I need to hear that message. So don't get hung up on who it's coming through. Make sure you're listening for what God's saying through that message. And so first love, coming back to where God is our priority, he's first. Uh, it's coming back to that idea of the gospel of the kingdom. And so today, we're going to talk about contending with God. Contending with God. And I could have called this wrestling with God, 
Um, probably should have, but I, I just didn't want to. And so um, I like the word contending better. But Genesis 32, if you're going to use the Bible in front of you there, it's on page 29. We're going to read that. By the way, thank you for praying. Last night I had the opportunity to speak at a wrestling camp. Oddly, um, while I was preparing messages for this weekend, my wrestling message was today, and last night was on Luke 15, the lost people, and uh, I spoke to a room of about 65 to 70, um, 8 to 18-year-old boys and the leaders that were there. Um, Some of them came to this wrestling camp, and they came to learn about wrestling, and um, John Duba out at Byron Bible Camp had it in his heart to share a gospel message with them during the week, so he invited me to come. I thought it was weird, because I don't know much about wrestling. In fact, I don't really know anything about wrestling, but uh, I, I know a lot about Jesus and the gospel, and so I went and I shared. Forty people um, made a commitment to follow Christ for the first time last night, so praise God. Thank you for praying for that, and pray that that's, that takes root. I mean, I gave them materials to take with them, and uh, it's up to God to keep it in their hearts now, and so keep praying for that. So, I'm going to encourage you again, go back over the the messages that you missed, even if you have heard them, um, go back, listen to what God is saying. And in Genesis chapter 32, we've got kind of a rather obscure and odd story in the Old Testament. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not, but there are two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob is the younger brother. And he, they are twins. They were born at the same time, except, you know, Esau came out a few seconds earlier, and they are the grandsons of Abraham, okay? Now, Jacob's name means deceiver, and it's interesting to me that um, Jacob is given this name because you've got to understand for the biblical culture, names are important, names are vital. In fact, Esau means red, Esau means hairy, and so he, his name was given to him because he came out of the womb kind of red and hairy, and so that's why he got that name. So somehow they give Jacob this name deceiver and think that he's going to grow up and be anything but a deceiver. And he lives up to his name. His brother comes in one day from hunting and his brother's hungry. And so he tricks his brother or deceives his brother into giving up his birthright for a bowl of soup. The birthright is the right of the firstborn son to get a double portion of the inheritance, to be the leader of the home once the dad passes on. And so Esau gives it up for a bowl of soup. Now, Esau's not an innocent victim. In fact, the Bible later on challenges us and says, don't be like Esau, who for the thrill of the moment gave up his birthright. A lot of believers giving up their inheritance in the kingdom for the thrill of the moment. I mean, how close can I get to the world? I want to do this. I want to do that. The Bible doesn't say I can't smoke a joint. The Bible doesn't say I can't do this or that. And great, you want to give it up for the thrill of the moment, be my guest. But if you want to press into the kingdom, it's going to cost you more. And Jacob or Esau really wasn't into that birthright, so he gave it up. Then he tricks Isaac, his father, into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. Remember, he put the hair on his arms and put Esau's clothes on. His dad was, couldn't see really good. And he's like, I don't get this because you, you sound like Jacob, but you smell and you feel like Esau. So I don't know what's going on, but he gives him this blessing. Again, we don't understand it because we bless and curse people all the time and we think our words have no value, but our words are powerful, okay? And so there's power in blessing. And when he, Esau comes in, he's like, bless me too. He's like, I can't. There's no blessing left. I gave it to your brother. So he gives him a rather odd blessing. 
but you know, it's, it's just great. So you have to go read those. But Esau hates Jacob. So he sends Jacob off. Jacob goes and he gets married. He has flocks and he actually gets a taste of his own medicine because his father-in-law tricks him, gives him the wrong wife. Uh, the great, you know, and so some of you, if you don't know the story, you got to go read it. It's awesome. So the couple chapters before Genesis 32, but now we're in Genesis 32. Jacob has come back home and he's about to meet Esau. He has sent herds of sheep in front of him to try to like say here's a here's a gift for you Esau because he's afraid he's afraid Esau's going to kill him and uh, he doesn't want that to happen so he has sent everyone else ahead and now we're in Genesis 32 we're going to start in verse 22 during the night the night before he goes to Esau Jacob got up took his two wives his two servant wives and his 11 sons and he crossed the Jabbok river with them after taking them to the other side, he sent all of his possessions over. Then this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Okay, he wrestled till the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And so, Father, I pray, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love that phrase, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks, is you have fought with God and man, and you have won. We're going to talk today about contending with God. The next time, we're going to talk about contending with man and what those mean. But when he says you have fought against God and won, that does not mean that he beat God, okay? That's not what winning means in this sense. Winning means to overcome in the sense of attaining reward. So for Jacob, what has been prophesied or promised over him has now come to pass because he has struggled or contended with God. He has endured and he has come to the place where he has overcome. Now that word fought literally means to contend, to exert strenuous effort, to persist, and to persevere. All through the Bible, it reminds us that entering the kingdom or drawing near to God requires us to contend, to exempt strenuous effort, to persist, to persevere. That doesn't mean to come to salvation, you have to do that. Coming to salvation is actually very easy. All you have to do is believe or admit that you're a sinner. You can't do anything about your condition. You're totally helpless. Jesus took all of your sin when he died on the cross and admit that you're going to come into the kingdom and you're going to surrender everything to him and he's going to send his spirit, he's going to transform you and you're going to change. That's all you got to do. I mean, that's easy. But pressing into the kingdom is where it gets a little hard, a little strenuous. And so to contend with God is what we all have been called to do. 
If you're going to serve God, if you're going to walk in the kingdom, let me just tell you up front, it is not always going to make sense. If you want it to always be one plus one equals two, quit now. I'm going to be honest with you because it's not. There are going to be times you look at it and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. You are going to battle fear. You're going to battle regret. You're going to battle hurt. You're going to battle misunderstanding. You will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But do not be afraid because he is with you. You're not going to feel him. You're not going to see him. But you have got to remind yourself through contending, through strenuous effort, through persistence, through perseverance, he is near me. Okay? You've got to be obedient. And I'm going to give us three principles from this story that if we're going to contend with God and overcome, these three things have got to be settled in our hearts today. The first one, we must be willing to be alone with God. Jacob was alone in the camp and he wrestled with God. It doesn't just mean your quiet time. I mean, your quiet time is a part of that. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. We have to do that. We have to be willing to either get up early or step aside from our day or schedule time every single day to be alone with God. I don't know if it's possible to always schedule a time because just about the time you schedule it, the baby cries. Or just about the time you schedule it, someone interrupts you. I mean, you've, but you've got to have something within you that says every single day I have got to find a way to be alone with him. It does mean that. You've got to press into it. That doesn't mean you don't need other people. We need other people in our not lives. We need to learn from others. We need to serve others. But you and I have to learn how to draw what we need from Jesus alone. Because there will come times in your life where it seems like everyone else has either abandoned you or has just hurt you or has just misunderstood you. And if you can't settle in your heart that he is all all you need. You will not love him or love people the way you should. You'll withdraw from people. You'll let the offenses build up in your heart and you'll isolate yourself from people and you will not be able to press into the kingdom and you will, you will have a whole list of good stuff, but it will not be first love because we've got to settle this in our hearts. We've got to be willing to contend and wrestle with this. In John chapter 16, verse 32, Jesus said, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you, his apostles, his closest people, when you will be scattered, each to your own home, you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. You are never alone. You are never abandoned. And if you do not settle that in your heart, you will be forever struggling, not in this good kind of wrestling way, but in a I'm going to quit, I'm going to give up kind of way. This has to be settled in our hearts. We have to understand that there are seasons of life where we literally are led by the Holy Spirit into wilderness moments. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he just had revival. He just got baptized. The heavens open. The Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove and says, this is my son and I am well pleased with him. He hasn't even done anything yet except turn water into wine. 
How can God be pleased with them? Because it's not about what we do, it's about who we are. And the only reason God is pleased with you now and will ever be pleased with you is that. Settle it in your heart right now. Because when you do well, he is not more pleased with you. When you fail, he is not less pleased with you. His pleasure is all in the cross. That's why Jesus had to do it. It was the only way. And so when you go into these times where you're, you're tempted and you're tested, and how was Jesus tested? If you are the son of God. His identity was questioned. If you're the son of God. Well, God just said he was the son of God. So what, what do you mean, if I'm the son of God? I just heard it from the mouth of God. I am the son of God. And Jesus overcame every one of those temptations. And then he came out of, he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Huh. He went in full of the Spirit and he came out of that wilderness, that wrestling time, in the power of the Spirit. And the reason that some of us don't walk in the power of the Spirit is because we don't understand the wilderness times. When I was a young pastor, I know I'm still a young pastor. <laughs> Praise God. Not as young as I used to be. Whew. But uh, I had a, an older pastor that we were talking one day and he, he looked me in the eye and he said, you know what, I feel like I've just fallen out of favor. His church was struggling, people were leaving the church and he's like, I just feel like I've, I've lost favor. I didn't know what to say to him in that moment. I really didn't. I know now he, was, he hadn't fallen out of favor, he was in a wilderness moment. But in that moment, I regret to tell you that he, he actually had an affair that actually led him to divorce his wife and things kind of unraveled. Luckily, he repented later on and came back to the Lord and uh, was, I believe, forgiven, was used by God later in, in his life. But in that moment, because of that wrestling with God, I think he gave in to the temptation. And if I could go back, I'd say, dude, you're just in a wilderness. Just cling to Jesus right now. Don't let when people, I mean, if the praises of people are going to lift you up and the criticisms of people are going to bring you down, <laughs> you are in for a wild ride. You got to look in the mirror and say, Jesus, you, I, you're all I want. You're all I need. I mean, sometimes the criticisms from people are warranted and God will use those criticisms to mold and shape our character, but you cannot live and die by them. And you can't live and die by the praises of people. So we've got to be willing to go through these seasons of life where we understand it. And in the wilderness season, number two happens. We must be willing to be broken. We must be willing to be broken. Verse 25 says, he touched the socket of his hip and he wrenched it out of place. Now, I have never had anything pop out of socket, but I hear it's rather painful. So don't just read this verse and think, oh, he wrenched his hip out of socket, okay? The excruciating pain has just happened. And you know what I love? He doesn't stop wrestling. In the midst of excruciating pain, he refuses to let go. There's a quote by Samuel Chan that says this. You will only grow to the threshold of your pain. To increase in the kingdom requires an increase in pain tolerance. What does it take for you to give up 
for you to throw in the towel. Or maybe not throw in the towel, but just throw up your hands in disgust. What does it take to set you off? What does it take to isolate you, to make you withdraw? What does it take to make you lose your temper? If we do not grow in our pain threshold, we will be forever immature in the kingdom. We have to be willing to be broken. At the end of the story, Jacob walks with a limp. The entire nation of Israel refuses to eat this part of the animal because of what happened to Jacob. Okay, this forever marked him. And I know that we love to talk about our strengths and God has given us our giftings and our abilities. And here's the thing. God can't use you unless you're broken. I don't care how gifted or talented you are. There has to be a breaking in every one of our lives. And some of us, we get really good at using Christian phrases, but we don't recognize God is actually using this moment to break us. So the question is, can we hang in there when everything seems hopeless? Against all hope, Abraham kept hoping. By the way, hoping is not an emotion. It's a confident assurance that God is going to be working on your behalf. So you can be lonely, afraid, sad, disgusted, angry, all of these things, and yet be filled with hope. Because my hope is not in, in what's happening. My hope is in the character and nature of God that does not change. And I can't see it around me, but I'm going to keep hoping. In the letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, Three different times I begged the Lord to take away this thorn in his flesh. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I'm glad to boast about my weakness now so that the power of Christ can work through me. I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And some of us, when hardships come or when people like insult us or persecute us, our pain threshold is super low. Our hip hasn't been wrenched out of socket. We've kind of stubbed our toe. And we're all over the place. We think that anytime we get our feelings hurt at church, we need to find a new church. We think anytime something doesn't go right at work or, man, I'm really facing hardships at work. God, you need to take me to a different job. Why? He wants to take you higher in the kingdom. And if you keep going to jobs that are better suited for you, when God doesn't send you to those jobs, you're going to stay where you are in the kingdom. And we, we're, we're like all the time, oh, Lord, Take me further in your kingdom. Help me to, and he does, but then we reject it. I don't want hardship. God, I thought you were going to help me go into the kingdom. <laughs> you know how you enter the kingdom? You know how you enter the kingdom, but don't tell him yet because it's not, it's coming later. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter four. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but guess what? We are not crushed. We're perplexed. But we are not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, 
but we're not destroyed through suffering. Our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. What's he talking about? See, as, as broken vessels, when we start getting broken, think of a jar. And if a jar has cracks in it, if it's broken, you know, whatever's in that jar becomes visible. In our strengths, Christ isn't as visible. But in our weaknesses, he becomes oddly visible. And that's what he needs. The strongest horse is of no use to its owner until it's broken, fully submitted to God. And unfortunately, unbroken people don't know how to lay their lives down and lose. They don't know how to lose. But broken people know how to go the second mile. Broken people know how to give their shirts when someone asks for their coat. Broken people know how to speak well of those who misrepresent them. They don't feel the need to, to stand up for themselves. They know how to speak God's blessing over those who curse them. They know how to return evil for good. As Dr. E. Stanley Jones said, the God I find in Christ is a God who overcomes evil with good, hate by love, and the world by a cross. That's what broken people do. And if we're not willing to be broken, we're not going to go further in the kingdom. We've got to be willing to be alone with God. We've got to be willing to be broken. And number three, we have to be willing to hold on to the end. I love when Jacob, I mean, I love this picture in my mind. Jacob walks away from this moment and the sun is coming up. Because the guys he's wrestling with, I love this. He's like, you got to let me go. It's God. And he's saying, you got to let me go. God could have at any moment, I mean, with just a touch, he wrenched his hip out of socket, okay? So at any moment, God could have just killed him. So it's not like God's like, you need to let me go. He wants him to come. You need to let me go. Come here. Come closer. What God says isn't always what God means. Get that? Okay, he doesn't want Jacob to let him go. <laughs> he wants Jacob to hold on in this moment. But he's saying, let me go as a test. See, he said to Abraham, sacrifice Isaac. He didn't want him to sacrifice Isaac. It was a test. He wanted him to come closer because I want you to know me as Jehovah Jireh, your provider. But you can't know me as Jehovah Jireh, your provider, if you're not willing to put your son on the altar. The moment you raise a knife, I'm going to stop you and I'm going to provide a ram. It's forever going to mark you. Ugh. This is what God wants to do. So he, some of us are like, well, God doesn't want me doing that anymore, I guess. No, he wants you to come closer. Jacob wrestles with him. The man says, let me go. And he says to him, what's your name? Or I won't let you go until you bless me. I want to I be blessed. How many of you want to be blessed? Some of you are from our church and you're like, I'm not going to raise my hand yet. Because <laughs> I don't know if I want to be blessed yet. Because what we define as blessing isn't always blessing okay so he says to him what's your name well my name is deceiver not anymore it isn't here's the thing when you come into the kingdom I don't care what nationality you are not anymore you aren't I don't care how you were raised I don't care if you're male or female I don't care when you come into the kingdom you get a new name when you come into the kingdom you get a new gender when you come into the kingdom you get new everything there is no male, female. There is no Jew, Greek. There is no black, white, yellow. There's nothing. 
In the kingdom, we're all children of God, period. And so our identity has to fully change when we come into the kingdom. That's the first blessing. The first blessing is who you were is not who you are. But here's the problem. I know that who we are sometimes tries to follow us into the kingdom. And you know what you need to remind your, your old self? That's not who I am. And all of the people around you will try to keep reminding you. Oh, yeah, you call yourself a Christian now? You're just like you used to be. No, I'm not like I used to be. That's not who I am. Let me tell you who I am. And who I am is hidden in Christ. It's not an excuse to live however we want. But it's not, also, it's not defining who we are. Make sense? So the first thing is he changes his name. He calls him Israel. Israel means struggles with God or contends with God or wrestles with God. That's what it, it marks him. It marks an entire nation. And so, again, the struggle that you and I enter into is about changing our identity. And we come into the kingdom and we go through a struggle. And that struggle is about helping our new identity to work itself out. And you know what we do? We blame other people. I'm in this struggle because of my parents. I'm in this struggle because of my spouse. I'm in this struggle because of my pastor. I'm in this struggle because of my boss. I'm in this struggle because, 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 because of what lives inside me. That's why I'm in this struggle. And what we have a tendency to do as Christians is correct everyone else. Because if I correct everyone else, everything in my life will be better because they're the problem, not me. And there is a time that we should correct other believers, totally in the Bible. But you know what Jesus says? Wrestle with the log in your eye first. And so what you're seeing in someone else, before you go to correct them, make sure you deal with everything on the inside of you that is causing you to act and react the way you are to that person before you go to that person. And we don't do that. We go remove their little speck and we wonder why, you know, they're seeing stars because we poked them in the eye because we have no idea how to handle it because we haven't dealt with what's inside of us. And what God wants to do is work your identity out. So he allows you to get into these relationships or situations to bring stuff to the surface. And if you say it's because of them, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. You're going to say, God, work this in my heart. Why am I acting this way? Well, I know, I know they acted like that toward me, but why am I acting that way? Because that's not who I am. Is, is the light going on? I hope it's going on. Hebrews chapter 10. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. When you have done the will of God. Not when you have done what you felt like doing. Not when you have said what you felt like saying. When you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. What has been promised? A new identity. And when you start doing the will of God in the face of these difficult moments and you just wrestle it out, and the reason it's called contending and wrestling is because it's ugly. I mean, generally, wrestlers, when they're done, are all like sweaty and their hair's like all over the place unless they don't have any hair. And then, you know, it just, it's messy. It's ugly. It's not pretty. And sometimes, I mean... If you're a wrestling fan, I know you're like, wrestling is pretty. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing when it's done right. Um, but it's not always done right. Sometimes it's done wrong, and you're just scrappy, and you're just fighting, and you're just clawing. And sometimes that's what wrestling in the kingdom is, looks like. The key is we don't wear it on our sleeve. 
Now I want you to listen and pay attention here for just a second. When I say you don't wear it on your sleeve, I'm not talking about you hide everything. Because you've got to be able to tell people, hey, things are messed up in my life right now and I just need you to pray for me. I feel ugly right now. It's okay to admit that to people. But what I'm talking about is don't wear it on your sleeve, meaning don't walk around. I'm overcoming in Jesus. No, you're not. You want everyone to feel bad for you. You're letting what other people have done for you or what your circumstances in affect everything about you. It's so easy to spot. Everybody else sees it, but you know what? We never see it when we're doing it. And we, we want to go up to people and kick them in the pants and be like, what are you doing? Stop it. And really, you know what you needed to go over to do? You just put your arm around them and say, hey, how you doing, mighty warrior? How you doing, valiant one? How you doing, son of God? I mean, you need to speak life over them. Not what you see. Yeah, I know. It's really good stuff. So then, after all of that, in verse 29... Jacob's still not letting go. He says, tell me your name. Tell me your name. I want to know who you are. Somehow I believe Jacob's got a sense that this isn't just a natural guy. <laughs> because, I mean, he's had the whole vision of the stairway and angels descending and ascending in the past. He, and, you know, you touched my hip and it came out of socket. Um, you know, Mr. Miyagi, I want to know that, that thing you do with your hands. I want to know that. Remember Karate Kid? Yeah, okay, some of you are like, <laughs> if you don't remember Karate Kid, then you just go rent it and watch it, it's great. And Mr. Mew, show me that thing you do. And he says, why do you want to know my name? Why do you want to know my name? And in that place, he blessed him. He blessed him. We don't know what he said. We don't know what happened, but that was the blessing. Can I tell you something? The blessing is not... The healing, the blessing is not the, the miracle. The blessing is not the financial provision. The blessing is not all these things. It's, it's nothing from the hand of God because everything God gives us from his hand is temporary. When God comes through and heals you, one day you're still gonna die. Just, sorry. So it's temporary. I mean, it is a blessing, but it's not the blessing. If God provides a financial provision, you know what? The money's going to run out. It's not like it's just every time you go to your bank account, it's going to be there. But it, it, the money eventually is going to run out again. It's going to happen. What is it? It's seeing God face to face. It's knowing his name. It's saying, God, I need you to, to bless me because he is our reward. And Jacob caught it <clears throat> and he said, I've seen God face to face. I've seen God face to face. See, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells us the same principle. He tells about this guy that won't stop knocking. He won't stop wrestling. He's like, I'm, you got to get up and give me what I need. And he will get up and give him what he needs because of his shameless persistence. Because he contends with God, I'm going to keep getting up. I'm going to keep getting up. And so I tell you, keep asking, you receive what you ask for, keep seeking, you'll find, keep knocking, the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Great. But if all you do is when you read that, think everything I ask for, I'm gonna get, everything I see, if you miss, you're gonna miss it. Because the last thing Jesus says is, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's it all about? It's about learning to live in the power of the Spirit. It's like we've come full circle, haven't we? We've come all the way back to that living 
in the power of the Spirit. What we've got to understand is there are going to be times in our lives where things don't end the way we thought they should. This principle is going to look like it doesn't work. I asked, and I don't know why I didn't get what I asked for. I mean, I was seeking, and I don't know why I didn't. Don't you dare stop. You need to hang on until the sun rises because when the sun rises, you're going to understand that it wasn't about getting the miracle. It wasn't about getting the healing. It wasn't about, it was about getting the healer. It was about getting the provider. It was about getting him face to face. It was about being filled with his spirit in every part of your being. I would skip this verse, but since I promised it to you, I'm going to put it up. In Acts chapter 14, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The question is, is there a willingness in our lives to be alone with him? Is there a willingness in our lives to be broken? Is there a willingness in our lives to hold on till the end? If there is, you're going to make it into the kingdom. You're going to wrestle your way in. And I don't mean heaven. I mean you're going to gain understanding in the kingdom. You're going to grow in the kingdom. These are blessings and promises for right now. But if you look at your life and you're like, oh man, I'm I don't know why I'm not growing. Or you look at your life and you feel like no one else around you is growing. I mean, you're mature, but the rest of the people aren't mature. You might might need to take a step back and make sure you're willing to be alone with him. Make sure you're willing to be broken by him. And make sure you're willing to hang on till the end. All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for the things that you're showing us through this letter. Jesus, I thank you for the letter that you gave to this church in Ephesus about coming back to that place where they had had fallen from. They had forgotten that place of first love. They weren't loving you with that priority love. They weren't loving others with that priority love. And God, we recognize too, it's so hard. It's so easy for us to just neglect this. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the day-to-day. And God, I believe every one of us in this room wants to enter the kingdom. But we enter the kingdom through hardship. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray today that you'd help us to wrestle with these words over these next few moments. And that you'd help us to wrestle with these words through this day, through this week. God, that there would be a willingness in every single one of our hearts to be alone with you. God, not just to spend time daily with you, but to be abandoned by everyone for you. God, to be even emptied of ourselves for you, not to be worried about whether our gifts are being used or not being used. God, if you want to put us on a shelf for the rest of our lives and the whole purpose of bringing us into the kingdom was just for your pleasure, God, we want that. We want that. We don't need anything else but you. We don't want that just to be a song we sing. We want it to be our lives all for you, everything for you. God, put a willingness in our hearts to be broken. That in those hard moments that we're not deflecting to other people, that we're not looking outward, but God, that we're we're staking 
just a, a flag in the ground that says we're not going to move. God, we're not going to let go until you bless us, until we come face to face with you. God, there's so much in this story that I didn't even cover today. But I pray for each person that's here right now. Holy Spirit, for the words that each of us needs to hear, bring them back to our minds right now. Resonate them in our hearts right now. For the words that I've spoken today that were just my words, God, they were my flesh. Let them fall to the ground. God, if I've offended anyone with something I've said today, God, I pray that you would just let it fall off of their their backs right now. God, that everything would fall to the ground that's of me. God, that they would be able to cling to what is you and to cling to what is true. And so God, birth these things deep in our hearts today, I pray. As we get ready to dismiss today, I left you seated for a reason. I know it's 1130 and I know that some of you might have a schedule to keep and that's okay. But I wanna give you an opportunity to wrestle with the Lord for just a few moments. I don't know what maybe he highlighted to you today from this message, but I hope that there was something today that the Holy Spirit spoke to you, some area of correction, some area of rebuke, some area of encouragement that maybe you just need to wrestle with for just a few moments. And if you need to come to this altar in the, to the front to do that, if you just need to sit there in your pew and do that, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. Our prayer team is gonna be here in the front at the end. And so we're gonna give you an opportunity if you want prayer for something, we're gonna be here for that. But if you need to be dismissed, in just a moment, I'm just gonna pray a blessing over the entire body. And if you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. And let this be a place of prayer for those that maybe need to spend a few more moments. But if you need to go, uh, just go ahead and feel free to do that. And so Lord, I pray your blessing right now over this body. God, that you would bless them that you'd keep them, that you'd cause your face to shine on them. You'd lift up your countenance upon them. God, that you'd give them peace. God, give them abundant grace. Today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.